You would have seen that video, and I'm playing it purposefully again this week. And like I said last week, there are three great things about that video. First, it's Toby Mac. Okay. Secondly, he released that almost less than a month before the U.S. elections last year. And thirdly, he put into context what the Beatitudes are really about, that many of us today have completely lost. Now, I'll get a little bit more into that a little later on. But I want to start with just recapping what we've gone through the last couple of weeks. We're going through the Sermon of the Mount. And Jesus, after you know all that he went through, the baptism uh, with John the Baptist and then being out in the wilderness, he comes out. And he begins this time of ministry, this time that truly will change the world. And he begins with this one comment, this one statement. This is almost like his vision statement. You know, you've got McDonald's that says, I'm loving it. Or you've got our church that says, you know, strong in faith, rich in love. He starts off with this, and this becomes the rallying cry. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? What is he saying here? Where, where is he going with this? Well, for one thing, he's not talking to any individual. He's not talking about our personal sins or something that you're holding on to that you need to let go of. He's talking to a people. His people. And he's telling them, repent. He's saying, hey, you're going in a direction that is wrong. You are the people of God. You're actually going in the wrong direction. You need to stop and turn around. Why? Because the kingdom of God is, is near. The kingdom of heaven is close. And the direction you're going will only lead to destruction. You need to turn. He wasn't talking to any singular person. He was talking to all his people. The people who held the banner of God's people above the Jews. In what direction were they going? Well, they wanted to get rid of the Romans. They wanted to get rid of this rule, this heathenistic rule, and these banners that portrayed false gods, these evils. They wanted it out, they wanted it gone. And they felt that if they could do it, if they could force the issue, then God's Messiah will come and God's reign will happen because that's what they're looking for. They wanted God's kingdom to come. They wanted God to rule not just Israel, but the world. And so they were forcing it violently. Violently in so many ways. Just a bit of a historical perspective. The Jews got themselves into this position all by themselves. The reason why the Romans were there to begin with was because they were fighting with each other. And one of them called the Romans to come and help out, but the Romans won't be patsies to anybody. So they came and helped out and took over everything. And here they want to fight. They want to get, get it out. And Jesus is saying, you guys have got it wrong. Turn around. You're heading for destruction. Did the Jews listen? Did they listen to this warning? No. 
They revolted. They went straight for the violence. And what happened? They lost the temple. Jerusalem was, was flattened in 70 AD. And then in 110 AD, they decided to try it again. But this time the Romans did something far more drastic. They kicked them out. Israel, Judea ceased to exist. It was called Palestine from that day on. And for 1,800 years, the Jews wandered. And they've come back. And guess what they're doing? The same thing. But that's not my issue this morning. What are we Christians doing? What are we doing? Do you see any similarities in how we act with the world sometimes? Like the Jews, we want to force the change. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Putting it into context, Jesus is not talking to the Romans. He's not talking to the Greeks. He's not talking to the Bedouins or the Africans. He's talking to his people, God's people. In today's parlance, he's talking to you and me. He's talking to us Christians. But you see, with a statement like that, we kind of bypass us and we go straight to the world. Repent to the world. The kingdom of heaven has come near to the world. We do Jonah's. You know what Jonah did, right? We go out into our nerves and we preach repent, for destruction is coming. And then we go sit up on the hill under the shade of a tree. And a wait for it to happen, just so we can self-righteously tell everybody, I told you so. The great gospel of fear, the rapture, what do you think that is? It's almost like us wriggling our hands saying, hey, wait, oh, you don't know what's going to come. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And Jesus pulls us in. Pulls us in and challenges us straight to us. And then he, he does the intro to the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. This powerful, powerful passage, which many of us have kind of relegated to some proverbs. It's not something in real life that we can apply in that. Because for most of us, we don't really even understand some of the things. What does poor and spirit even mean? Meek? What's that? Do I have to lose weight? To be meek? I don't know. Pure in heart? Oh my goodness, who's pure in heart? That's a bit hard to kind of strive towards. What does that mean? So a lot of these Beatitudes are just relegated. The reason why they're relegated to that because I think we're actually fearful of what they really are about. Because for the most part, like the Jews, revolutionaries are about blessings that make you powerful. They're about blessings that make you powerful. We use verses that empower us. You know, kind of like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and that, that empowers us because we can do this. There's this title of a 
worship band and came up with a CD not long ago. The title of the song was called Till the World the Whole Earth Looks Like Heaven. And and the main chorus goes, We won't stop singing until the whole world looks like heaven. And I'm thinking, there it is again. We're just the Jews of the first century. We're gonna make this happen. We're gonna do this. We can do it. And the reason why we end up being driven or or charlatans like Donald Trump you know, uh, tend to attract us is because they have the power to make what we want happen. Let's stop abortion. Let's stop uh, gay marriage. Let's stop those illegal immigrants taking our jobs. Let's stop the schools from, from not letting us have our Bibles in there. Let's stop. We can do this. But the power of the Beatitudes, Jesus just flips the whole world upside down. Because the Jews, the poor Jews who are listening to Jesus are thinking, Hey, I can't be like that. I can't be blessed like those Pharisees, like those guys up there. I haven't got power. The Beatitudes are about blessings because, because you are powerless. You don't have the power, and you are blessed. It flips the whole world upside down. It's not the Romans who have power. It's not the, um, you know, the, the Pharisees or the Sadducees that have the power. They, I mean, they can have all the power they want. But the blessings come from us being powerless. Let me, I had this great meeting with an old pastor of this church, Kevin Schultz, the other day, and we we're talking through some stuff, and you know, pastors tend to moan a lot. <laughs> moan because we're getting old too. That, 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 that's part of the, the thing. But um, you know, he looked at me and he goes, Rob, what the Christian community, Christian churches have not grasped is that secularism is not our problem. You know, for so long we're worried about how secularism is taking over society. Let me tell you, he said to me, the biggest problem we have, it's cynicism. People are cynical towards Christianity because we say things and we don't do it. Or we hold to things and don't act on it. Or what they see on the outside doesn't reflect on what's on the inside. The biggest issue is not secularism, it's cynicism. And most of our young people are cynical. The Beatitudes are about blessings because you are powerless. At this point, modern theologians today, N.T. Wright, so Dallas Willard, they, they hammer our modern day uh, Bible translators because the fact that they are so literal and wanting to be in their translations that they actually miss the meaning of what it is that's being written. I shared with you last week when I when Andrew Barsley was here, I said, if Andrew were to say out in Italian to everybody in this congregation and say, hey, Roberto sta dando i numeri. And someone got up and translates that literally. It says, Rob's giving numbers. Many of us here would think, what's he saying? He's not giving numbers, he's giving words. Well, what does he mean by that? But if you're Italian, you'd understand, oh no, he's just saying Rob's crazy. <laughs> Right? So when we look at the Beatitudes and we look at, say, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Many of us don't know what it even means. Dallas Willard writes in, in his book, The Conspiracy of the, the Divine Conspiracy, he writes, he goes, some Christians actually aspire to be poor in spirit. He goes, it's crazy. It's because we don't actually understand it. And this is what it means. You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Dallas Willard goes in further. You're blessed when you've had enough of religion, when you've got nothing in you to give, and you can't believe anything anymore. When you've got nothing, he says, that's poor in spirit. When you are blessed, when you are at the end of your rope, with less of you, there is more of God in this rule. That is the kingdom of heaven. That's what it looks like. If anyone plans to sing until we have the kingdom of heaven on earth, that's what it looks like. More of God and his rule. And there's less of you, there's more of him. What about uh, less of the pure in heart? Who's pure in heart? Who's going to be confident to put their hands up and say, I'm pure in heart. Oh, hang on, they get to see God. What does that mean? You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside. By the way, those translations come from the Message Bible. When I was back in Bible college, that version that Eugene Peterson put so much hard work into it was vilified because it wasn't literal. But it makes Bible sense. When you read that, you think, I'm not doing anything majorly theological here, I'm using somebody else. He's already done it. If you want to look at it more, you can. We don't have the podcast from last Sunday, but it's up on YouTube, the video of last Sunday. If you want to watch it, we'll go through each and every one of them. And at this point, <laughs> the poor Jews are like, yes! We don't have to be as holy as those guys. We don't have to follow the laws anymore. We don't have to do anything because, you know, hey, this is cool. But Jesus is anticipating his next comment. Oh, actually, let me. Sorry, I skipped right ahead. They're taking Bibles out of schools. Be blessed. Be blessed. For God will find another way. We are powerless to change the law. Be blessed. Rather than focus on the law, allow God to change people. That's basically what the Beatitudes are saying. When you are powerless, when you have, you can't do it anymore, you can't, how are we going to reach kids? How are we going to help society see that this is a bad thing? What, what can we do? Do we do rallies? Do we go fight the system? Do we storm the capital? What do we do? Be blessed. For when there is less of you, there is more of God. Be blessed. That when you look inside, you can then see God outside. Jesus goes on after the Beatitudes and he hits us up, or he hits everybody else. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. And the fact that he says do not think is anticipating what people are thinking. Because they've just heard these Beatitudes and they're thinking, oh my goodness. But he's saying, hey, hey, hey hang on a second. Don't, don't think that. Actually, I'm not here just 
to abolish law. I come here to fulfill the law. There's a reason why there is no temple in Jerusalem anymore. Let me make that really clear. Especially for those of you who support Israel. There is a reason why there is no temple in Jerusalem. It's a travesty to who Christ is. There is no more temple because he has fulfilled the law. He embodies the law. But the kicker is not this. Actually, the kicker is what ends up laying the foundation for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. You've got this opening statement, repent, change your ways, turn around from where the direction you're going, go in a different direction. Okay, well, what direction are we going? Here's the Beatitudes, I'm flipping the world upside down. The way you think is not the way it should be, it should be this. It's not about power, it's about being powerless. Because the less power you have, the more power God has. He's flipping the world upside down, and then he says this. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that would have, most of the people, they would have crestfallen at that point. How can you surpass someone who has memorized the whole law, all the five books, the prophets, they have disciples that follow them. They're smart beyond measure. They're rich. They're, they're, they're obviously blessed. These guys are, how do we, how can we surpass that? How, how, how can we surpass? I'm fat. I'm bold. They didn't think that back then, but what are we thinking? What are we thinking when, when that comes up? Well, the thing here is Jesus, who embodies the law, is looking at a different kind of righteousness. Not that kind of righteousness, the one that everyone looks really cool on the outside. He's looking for something a little different. Because by that point, then, and today, they've missed what righteousness actually means. You know, it's interesting, they've used David so many times, uh, the a lot of Christian leaders, to, to, to uphold him as a man of God who committed some really awful sins. But in one moment, in Psalm 51, he's reflecting on his most famous sin. That was he saw a woman next door, lusted after her, slept with her, but she was married with one of his soldiers that was out fighting. And then he got her pregnant. So he asked the, the commander of the, of the regiment that was out there to bring this guy back home so hopefully this guy could sleep with his wife. And that way they wouldn't know whose baby it really is. But the guy, out of, out of care for his own soldiers who were out in the front line, he was like, I'm not going to sleep with my wife. That's just ridiculous. So he sleeps on the front doorstep of his house. David doesn't know what to do about it. So he gets the commander to tell him, throw him in the front line. Hopefully he'll get killed which he did. And then he takes his wife as his own wife. Now, there are some laws in the Bible about that. Are you calling him righteous now? Right? Is he, this guy really righteous? Huh? And, and there's about three steps in there, and, and each of those steps required him to be 
executed, stoned by, by the law, the law of God himself. He, he says this in Psalm 51, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Let me put it into plain English. You do not delight in what, what works we do and what we do or the many lives we may have saved. It is our, when our pride is shattered, O God, and there is nothing left but our naked selves, this, Lord, you cannot turn away from. That's powerful. And this is the righteousness. Jesus is not looking at what we do on the outside. He's looking for what's happening on the inside. For too long, we've shown the world a very pretty Christian picture. And many people have walked away because they felt, I can't live up to that picture. Because they assume that what they see on the outside is the same on the inside. And Jesus tackles his head on later on in the book of Matthew, verse 20, chapter 23, from verse 27 to 28. He's talking to these Pharisees, these guys that everyone looks up to. He says to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but then on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. If you want me to put it in the modern day context, we're talking about houses in our house at the moment. New Zealand, you have some beautiful houses, they look great on the outside. But when you walk in, you only have single pane windows. Asbestos everywhere. No insulation. Draft. Mold. That's what he's saying. You need DVS systems just to get your houses close to maybe right. This is what he's saying. I'm not interested in what you look like on the outside. You look great. The whole world sees you look great. But on the inside, you're rotten, man. Something's not right. The Beatitudes, Jesus is turning the world upside down. He's saying, hey, we actually need to relinquish power. Uh, look, believe me, I'm the first one that wants to get up and fight. <laughs> I'm Italian. I'm loud, I'm boisterous, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm upset when I see things that are not right. But with the Beatitudes, God calls me to turn to him. And for 300 years, the early church did just that. They were powerless. With the Beatitudes, Jesus is turning the world upside down. But with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is turning us inside out. And this is the challenge as we come to face the Sermon on the Mount. We use a lot of what's coming out of this to point to other people, but Jesus is actually pointing to us. He's saying, hey, what's going on with you? Where are you at? Because you know, the greatest testimony is who you are. Not what you say, not what you show, but who you are. 
about Jesus is taking us on a journey. Steve preached this at the end of last year. I will be preaching this again. It's going to turn us from a church upside down to each and every one of us inside out. And through our brokenness and through those cobwebs in those dark corners of our psyche, the world will see everything. And we can just praise God for no matter how good we think we are or how bad we think we are or glory or power to him because he can turn this rotten corpse into something beautiful. Hmm. Um, I, I, you know, before the first song in the worship, so I ran downstairs to, to get something done, and, and as I was coming up, I noticed the food bank. You know, we've got all the food there. Someone left two bottles of wine. If you don't find that funny, I'm... <laughs> uh, Richard Williams is sitting there crying. They left two bottles of wine. I'm like, praise God. Someone thinks, hey, why do we get the bottles of wine? Why can't those who don't have a bottle of wine? And I'm, I'm encouraged by what our people do. I'm encouraged by what you guys do. So when you hear a hard sermon where I'm tackling it, it's not personal, I'm praying that God may light a fire on you. And that's what Jesus is trying to do here, and he struggled with his disciples who had a hard time understanding it, didn't like the hard words sometimes. But he was hoping to empower them to say, hey, you know what, no matter how hard we try, I've been trying to lose weight for 30 years, and people have given me every freaking diet on the planet. I think I've signed up for at least a dozen gyms in the past 10 years. I think I still have a couple of gym memberships going. Lost track. But all power glory because I can't do it. I don't have the power. We don't need to storm capitals. We don't need to be killing ourselves to change the world around us. We need to be on our knees praying to God and lifting up those around us, including ourselves, because he is the only one who has the power. Amen? I'll ask our music team to come up. Let us pray. Father God, many of us here, Lord, that are trying to make things right in our lives, and trying to make it right, in, in the things of the world and sometimes we just keep hitting brick walls and I pray Lord God that they can just lay it at your feet uh, for some of us we are poor in spirit, we've just had enough praying is just not number one on the list anymore seeking God seeking you Lord is not number one on, or number two or maybe even number ten on the list anymore Pray that they may realize that they are blessed this morning. Although you don't have the power God does. The less power you have, the more power he has. For those of you who are struggling, what does it mean to be meek? For those of you who are mourning, it's not a
blessing to be morning, is it? You are blessed. When you lose something close to you, the blessing is that you know God will never, ever lose you. Lord, I pray as we go out this week, that maybe for some of us the repenting needs to happen. We need to change direction in the way that we're going and we need to turn back to where you are, God. Maybe we've run too far ahead of you. Maybe we've been working in our own power. Help us to, to repent and turn back to you, Lord. For some of us, it's embracing maybe some of those weaknesses that we're ashamed of. Embracing them and knowing that God will make up for them. Because we'll bow to him. In Jesus' name. We were practicing this morning the words of the psalm that I quoted to you came to me. Um, Created me a clean heart. Do you know what psalm that comes from? That's Psalm 51, the one that Rob put up there. It's, it's the next bit of the psalm. So I think it really made me think those words, I think, have, have meaning. Created me a clean heart. And you're a right spirit in me. And we're going to finish um, today with another thing that comes direct from the Bible. The, the blessing that was given to Moses, who gave it to Aaron to give to the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. And it's a blessing, and it's a blessing that looks directly at God. And that's the blessing that we pray over each other so that we glorify God. Mm -hmm.